Well, we're at the last of the seven signs, and we'll be in John chapter 11. If you want to turn to John 11, it's 1066. We're going to be seeing, uh, reading quite a number of verses again this evening, the first 44 of John 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. The sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us all go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit 
and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Dear congregation, this evening we will look at the last of the seven great signs in John. A man, Lazarus, resurrected from the dead. And our past signs will help us understand this one as well. Because like the others, this one is speaking about two types of death, two types of resurrection. And if you can remember last week, we had the, blind, the healing of the blind man. And for him, the blindness there represented spiritual blindness, that is, unbelief, even in the world, and especially those leaders of the Jews. And he was given sight that was to point to belief in Christ. And here, Lazarus dies and is resurrected, yes, physically, but there's a deeper spiritual meaning, and so we have to keep our eyes on that. This points to the spiritual death, the unbelief of man, which ultimately will leave lead to the second death, that is eternal damnation in hell, and the spiritual resurrection, that is the life given by Christ to believe in him, because what good is it for the body to be resurrected if only to go to eternal damnation? And what we will see also, again, is that many around Jesus will at first only see the physical death while he teaches them their deeper need and their ultimate enemy, that is spiritual death and unbelief. We'll review the entire account tonight, but we will use verse 4 as our guiding verse because it's key to understanding this teaching. So if you look at verse 4, where Jesus says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified to it, through it. And we will look at the sign in two points. So the title, the seventh sign, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That's at verse 25. But the two main points death, the great enemy, and we're going to look at kind of the first half of, this, of these verses, and then Jesus, the glory of God. So first, we'll look at death, the great enemy. And we'll look at the first four verses. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. Brothers and sisters, in the first four verses, we have the setup for the entire sign. And if we start with verse 1, where it says, A certain man was ill. We can ask the question, Who is this man, Lazarus? 
Well, in my studies this week, I found out that the commentaries said a lot about Lazarus and his family. We know it's a brother and his two sisters living together. They said that he was wealthy, that they were wealthy, and that they lived in an area where um, being next to Jerusalem during the Passover time, thousands of Jews would come by them. And so they would probably stay in their house being wealthy. They would host a lot of people. They were really kind of a cornerstone of the community. And there's a lot that John could have wrote about them that would have been very interesting for us to know. But what does he tell us about them? He doesn't tell us any of that. What does he say about Mary? He says, Mary, the one in the next chapter we know, who loved Christ passionately and humbly that she washed his feet with her hair and anointed him for his burial, as Christ teaches us. And what does he say about Lazarus when you hear the letter that they wrote? Him who you love is ill. So what did John want us to know about this family? But that Christ knew them and Christ loved them. And if you look at the letter that the sisters wrote to Christ, it's interesting because they don't ask Jesus to come and heal him. They don't say, come, Lord, he who, and heal, he who you love is ill. They just said very simply, he who you love is ill. Because the truth is that they knew that Jesus loved him. They didn't feel that they had to say that. They knew that Jesus had his best interests at heart. You could think of, if, if, you were, if you're talking in the back in the parking lot, this way, and some mothers were with their kids playing on the other side of the parking lot, and you saw maybe a two- or three-year-old child playing, and you know how two- or three-year-olds are, especially boys. They might just suddenly decide to run into the parking lot. And if you see that, and you see a car coming towards the child, and the and they don't seem to notice the child either, and you call out, and maybe the mother's just turned her head away for just a second, and you call out to the mother, you're not going to feel like you have to tell the mother to save the child. You're going to know. All you have to say is, look, your child, he's going into the road. And here, too, that's all they say to him. The one you love is ill. They don't feel that they have to talk Christ in to coming back to healing him because they know that Christ loved them. And they're exactly right. Jesus, it says in verse 5, Love them. And the ESV, it has the word so, which I think is a great translation. But you could also, tra- you could also uh, sub that word for the word therefore. Basically, you could say Jesus stayed two days longer where he was because he loved them, he waited. And we are told in verse 4 that this was for the glory of God. Just as the blind man was born that way from birth, that the glory of God may be shown in him just for that moment in his ministry. Here too, Lazarus must die so that Jesus could work the works of God before the world. God is even turning death to the good of his people. And this is where we need to understand the great enemy that is death and the warfare that Christ goes through in his ministry and especially his death and resurrection to defeat it. We are told this, that this sickness doesn't lead to death, but is for the glory of God. Verse 4 sets the stage from the very beginning. In other words, Lazarus' death is to show that death itself has, it will be defeated through Christ. That it has no power over him, that he is going to rescue him from that, the grasp of death. And the glory of God, as we have noted, is the will of God, the works of God. And what is the will of God? What, is the, what are the works of God but to bring life? And especially fullness of life, that is eternal life. But there is a battle going on here in the hearts of those who see this miracle. They're asking, who is stronger, Jesus or death? And in a very real way, what we see is that they're not thinking about Christ. They're just seeing death, which is the very thing that Jesus wants them to see, that he is more powerful than death. And so now, 
we will take a look at how the disciples, Martha and then Mary, are each affected by death. Let's start with the disciples and take a look at the first section. That's verses 5 through 16. And see how this battle is taking place in their hearts. Now to summarize, Jesus waits a couple of days for Lazarus to die. And there, this way, when he came there, it would be the fourth day, so there would be no doubt that he was dead and that this was a miracle. But he waits a couple of days, and then he tells the disciples that we we're going up to Judea, because Bethany's right there next to Judea. And how do they respond? What are the disciples worried about? They're worried that the Jews will kill Christ. Which, it makes sense, because they were trying to stone Jesus, but what they didn't think of is that Christ was in control of the whole situation. To them... Christ evading their stoning was just luck. It was lucky that Christ got out. This idea of death was outside of Christ's control in their mind. And so they're afraid. And to press the point even more, Thomas, what does he say at the end? Right? In a defeatist way. Well, if we're going to go, let's all go. Let's all die. And Jesus teaches them not to fear, but to seek the light. And that's the section here, verses 9 and 10. Now, we've been talking about the light, and at its most simple, what Christ is saying is, again, that the light is the will of God, the will of the Father, and we walk in the will of the Father. He's telling them to obey and not to fear. Jesus, again, speaks this way. If you want to turn um, to chapter 12, verse 35, that'll be on the next page. It may help. 35 and 36 of chapter 12 Jesus says, so Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Who's he talking about? Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He's talking about himself. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Jesus is the light. The perfect image of the Father, revealing the Father's will and works perfectly, the very glory of God. And he says in our, in our verse today, there are 12 hours in the day in order to do the will of God. He's talking about his ministry. They are afraid that the Jews will kill Jesus. And actually, honestly, maybe more so, they're fearing for their own lives. Because what does Christ tell them? Let us go to Judea again. But Jesus here is telling them, we must do everything according to the will of God. And Thomas said, we'll go die, but he's wrong. They don't die. Even Christ isn't killed at this point. It's unbelief. So death is looming in their minds as the enemy, which brings doubt and unbelief. Jesus tells them in verse 15, essentially saying, I am glad I was not there so that Lazarus died, so that you may not be unbelieving, but believing. Second, let's look at Martha and how she responds to the enemy. Here, too, we find a similar situation, that death threatens to overshadow the Lord of life in her eyes. But I want to be clear about Martha and Mary. I'm not meaning to be condemning of them in any way whatsoever, because death has certainly dealt them a great blow, and a sudden blow. But isn't that the case with death? Even though we think about death, maybe death is even close to us, and yet, when death strikes, it's sudden. Maybe we think that death doesn't play by the rules. Well, especially for them as well, they wrote to Christ. Lazarus died very quickly. 
And wouldn't they be thinking Christ has healed hundreds, maybe thousands of people from sicknesses and kept them from death? And now here it happens almost instantly. Her brother is sick and then dies, and Christ is not there. And now Christ comes back, and he's a couple days late. She knew that it only took a day or two for him to travel, and he's four days late. This is for both the sisters. They may be thinking, why wait? So they're probably confused. But all that to say, to make it very clear that Martha and Mary, and then we're looking at Martha right now particularly, we're shown in these verses is the perfect image of one who loves Jesus and believes Jesus. And yet, death is shown to be the strong enemy that it is. And one of its worst tactics is to tempt those who trust God to doubt him. And this is a doubt that we hear in the voice of the sisters. When they see Jesus and they both ask the same question, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. These words, while completely understandable, ultimately state that death has had its way outside of Christ's command. As if it were outside of his control and had snuck past him when he was gone to take its prey. Now again, I want to say you can't blame them. And actually, it's Martha who seems to add in. It's amazing. She says, my brother would not have died if you were here. But then in faith, she says, but even now I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. What is she implying? But that Christ could raise Lazarus if he asked the Father. He would give him that. And then she goes on to say, I believe you are the Christ when he asks her. her, You are the Son of God. Come into the world. A powerful confirmation and profession of her faith. Something for all of us to look up to. The big question is, what happens at the tomb? At verse 40, Christ gives her a mild rebuke. And he says, if you would believe. Martha, who loves Jesus, who believes in Jesus, but then she sees the enemy when she gets to the tomb. She remembers death. When she sees the cave, she remembers the stone that's immovable to her. She remembers her brother's body being cold, putting him in there. And so she doubts even for just a second. She knows Christ, she loves Christ, but when she sees death, she doubts when she sees the enemy. And lastly, and shortly, we have verse 28 through 37, the account of Mary. What do we see in Mary? It's quite clear that Mary is in the depth of despair. I find it very interesting that they had mourners there. and For the Jewish community, they would mourn for quite a while, And it was a communal event, and they would even hire mourners to come mourn with them. And they were very rich, so they probably had hired a lot of mourners as well. There were a lot of people there. And if you know Mary and Martha, when Martha sneaks out, no one follows her. They're with Mary. When Mary goes, everyone follows her because they're there really to comfort Mary in in her grief. Yes, she's in the depth of despair. And when she goes to Christ, she says the same thing that Martha does. Maybe they talked about this ahead of time. But it's as if she used all her strength. She had been weeping for days. Maybe she had no strength left. Because when she gets to them, she says the same thing that Martha does. And then she collapses and she weeps. That's all that she can do. The despair of death has consumed her. 
And these three accounts, the disciples, Martha and Mary, we can see the looming power of death. The enemy is strong, and it is hard for them to see past it to Jesus. But John doesn't end the account there. Of course not. Jesus determined that this sickness was not unto death, but that the glory of God would be displayed. And not only to the disciples, Martha and Mary, but many are about to see the glory of Jesus, the victor over death, which leads us to our last point. Number two, Jesus, the glory of God. And let's read 33 through 37. And just before that, let's understand that now comes Jesus, the victor, fully God, the Lord of life, the one sent by the Father to destroy death and to give life to those who believe in his name. And Jesus knows that just in one moment he'll resurrect Lazarus. And yet, how does he respond to Mary? So let's start at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. The Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said in unbelief, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Yes, this is Mary. He sees her. Mary who will anoint his feet in the next chapter as we talked about. Mary who loves him. He sees Mary on the ground whose brother has been torn away by death. And this is Jesus, as we said, the victor, the one who is here to defeat death. Often, John draws our attention to his, to his deity being fully God. But John also, maybe more than the other Gospels, points, points to Christ being fully man. He had to be, to be a representative. Mary is helplessly weeping at death's hand in her life. And we have nothing else but to bow our minds and our hearts to the fact that Jesus took on human nature and in love underwent the pain that we go through in our weakness. He condescended to our level to save us. Yes, Jesus weeps with Mary because he is feeling the pain and loss of what death brings, just as she is. Not because he was weak, but because he was fully man. He was a man of sorrows. We just sang that. That's from Isaiah, who prophesies, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. But that's not the only reason he cries. In fact, his pain is much more extreme than just seeing Mary or missing Lazarus. As we said, he'll just, he's just about to resurrect him. The language that's used here is strong language, and it's very unique language. That he was deeply moved in his spirit, it says, verse 33, and again. It's like John is telling he was shaken to his core. So again, why is he shaken to his core if he knows he's about to resurrect Lazarus? But because he sees not just Mary, but death. He sees the death of all of his saints that are precious to him. And even more than that, he knows the ultimate enemy, that is unbelief and eternal death. And Jesus weeps like this when he sees Jerusalem as well. In Luke 19, verse 41, it says, And when he drew near and saw the city, that is Jerusalem, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day 
the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. This is why he's a man of sorrows. And tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. We're also told in Matthew chapter 23 and 37, How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Jesus is disturbed in his soul, just as he will be in the next chapter when he speaks about his cross. In verse 12, I'm sorry, chapter 12, the next chapter at 27, where he says, Now is my soul troubled. It's the same language. And what shall I say? He's, he is facing death himself. Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Jesus is deeply emotional because he is pained by the effect of death. This thing that rips apart families, husbands from wives, that takes children from their mothers before they get to hold them. This thing which ends man's opportunity to repent. That which tempts even believers to doubt and hate God, to feel far from him, to question him. And that is only the physical death. The spiritual death, that is the eternal death, is the real enemy. And that leads to eternal damnation. Words cannot be spoken about its horrors. Revelation 21.8 says, It's a fiery lake of burning sulfur, the second death. Jesus calls it a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And a place where the fire will never go out. And the worm will not die. There will be wailing at all times, pain at all times. And when Jesus sees Mary weeping, what does he do? He himself is at pain, is pained. But he doesn't back away. It's as if he draws his sword out and he confronts the enemy. He's moved in his spirit at the horrors of hell. And he sees the real need of those that he loves. He sees that what it's going to take is the cross. And as I said, it's as if he draws a sword and it's flashing now. He's moving forward. All revelation is about the cross and Christ is showing them this right now. The disciples, they faltered. They feared death. With their language, it was as if they would have stayed away from Jerusalem forever. That's what it made it sound like. What does Jesus do? He moves in. He doesn't have a fear of death. In fact, he knows that he's going to need to die to defeat death. He asks, where have you laid him? Mary is paralyzed by grief. And Christ suffered even more grief than Mary. And now she's on the ground crumpled. Jesus is a man of sorrow. That's what we're saying. What a name. He's moved again. And he comes to the tomb to the cave, and there's a stone against it. Martha is with him, the one that loves him, that believes in him, that gave a perfect profession of faith. But then she stopped by it, the reality of death. She sees it. She smells it. It's taking all of her senses over, and her faith wavers. Jesus loves her and speaks to her, and he says, essentially, watch me, just like he says to his disciples, and they are watching him. And Jesus moves forward, And he commands that the stone be removed. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? 
What does he say in verse 4? This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. So the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. The disciples would soon see the glory of God. They too would go on to do mighty works by his power. These timid men now, they would be mighty warriors for the kingdom, pushing back the darkness and spreading the glory of grace, the glory of the grace of God to bring life to the world. But for now, they watched their Lord. Then Jesus cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died, the one by which the glory of God would be revealed, the one who had been dead days, his body already decomposed, came out fully alive and healed again by the word of God. The world says death isn't a problem. That's how they act anyways. They've addressed it. They've taken the sharpness of its edges and they've polished it. They've made it smooth. You find death in things like Disney movies. If you've seen the movie Up, for example, maybe you can understand what I'm saying. They feel that they've addressed it. They know how to deal with it as if it's not so much a wolf, but maybe a little dog that they have in their purse. They're hiding it. They're pushing it away. As Christians, we can celebrate funerals as celebrations of life. But for unbelievers, they're not able to do that. And so what happens when death shows that it doesn't play by the rules? Well, we've seen that in the past couple of years. And globally, what happened with COVID? I really believe that people thought that we were immortal with our technology. But they are willing to destroy the earth, really. I mean, think about where we are now. They didn't care about the generations upcoming. Because they thought that they were immortal. And now when this thing that represents death comes for them... They panic. It, it's, it was amazing to see that globally. Oft, uh, you know, we know that people often talk about God at times of funerals, but that's the only time. Other men that aren't believers just pretend that death is natural. What is death? When did death happen? When did it come into the world? It's from sin. Sin against God. And only God can defeat death. You have, to, you have to remember with me, we have to remember that this is a sign. It's not just a healing. We're shown here spiritual death and the need for spiritual life. And this sign was well received by many, and they believed in Christ because of this sign. But equally, it was hated by those who love the darkness, by those who hate God by the Jews, a leader of the Jews, because later they sought to kill Lazarus. Why? Because he showed the glory of God in his life. The whole world, they said, was coming after him, as if they would lose the whole world and Rome would come and take their place. And the chief priest said, one man has to die on account of the people. And at that point, because of the sign, they didn't just talk about death, or they really went after Christ now. This was it. And this is the last sign that John has recorded for us before the cross. What's amazing is that these Jews who rejected Christ saw this. They saw a man come and rip someone out of death's grasp. Could you imagine that? And what did they do? But they chose death. They chose death over life. When they went to report it, they didn't say that it was a lie. They didn't say it was fake. They just told the, they just told the, the leader of the Jews what had happened. 
The sign ultimately pointed to man's biggest need, and that's it, which is unbelief, a need for a Savior. And it pointed to the fact that Jesus was sent by the Father to defeat spiritual death and unbelief, to bring belief and life. And he would go on to do just that on the cross. He died on the cross so that Lazarus would be loosed from the ultimate enemy, eternal death and hell. And on Jesus' walk to the cross, he would encounter again this same pain that he has here and this deep emotional inward groaning that we see in this passage. He would sweat blood as he approached it, but he wouldn't turn back. His disciples would flee it, the cross, but he would hang on it. And just as when Jesus walked to his disciples on the water in the storm, here too nothing would stop him from coming to it, the tree, to defeat death for all who would believe in his name. For this is the will of the Father, the twelve hours of light, the works of God, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the light that has come into the darkness, and this is he, Jesus, on whom you must believe and lay aside everything else, who manifested the very glory of God to the apostles, full of grace and truth, who then, John in this case, wrote this account, that you may also believe. And so I'll put to you what Christ did to Martha, the question of verse 25 in closing. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are humbled by your gift to us. We thank you for its clarity in your word. We are so busy with surface-level things, and things that are in themselves important, and yet we get distracted. And so we pray, Lord, that you would, by your word, again, show us not only our need, but our children's need, our parents' need, our siblings' needs, those around us, especially those who do not know you. And we thank you for the word that goes forth to dead people, those that are truly dead, that are believing in works righteousness or some sort of system of religion that is not around Christ, that is not true, that is ultimately leading to eternal damnation and hell. So we pray that your word would continue to go forth and that you would move our hearts to speak to those that we love, that we know about Christ. We pray this all in his name.